Do you shave your ass? <laughs> uh, I yeah, I guess. I get some mad swamp ass every time I shave my ass. Now I'm trying to figure out if that's a common thing or if that's just a me thing. I would like, if I may, to take you on a really fucking strange journey. Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by Jesse. How are you, my dear? I'm having technical difficulties, but I'm here for now. <laughs> well, I will keep going until you are not here, and then I'll just like roll over and die, okay. I guess is the result. <laughs> All right, well, it is April 6th, and we are super excited for this episode. It's going to be a little bit slightly different than the other ones we've done in the past, and uh like I said, man, it's it's going to be a good one. We're actually cutting out the Infernal Informant segment on this episode, and we're inserting a creature feature, which is not typical to the first of the month episodes. But I had a listener who asked me to speak about Rosemary's Baby, sort of give it a review, and that only exists in the creature feature segment. So we're going to break the mold a little bit here, and hopefully we can entertain you in the process. So starting off the show is obviously the first... Uh, segment I Dream of Jesse, and this is going to be episode 12. This is the 12th month that you've been doing this show. It's not 12 months exactly as the calendar goes, but 12th episode. That is amazing. Did you think you'd be doing this for a year? No. No, I, I like I said, I did the first episode I thought was just a one-off. I didn't expect you to. <laughs> yeah. Keep pulling you back. <laughs> Don't leave me. How much of my bullshit windbaggery can you take? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, at least a year's worth. <laughs> we'll see after today. Uh, no, this should be a fantastic one. What's this episode called? Well, it's uh, it might it's it's intended to be the first of a four-part series, and we'll see Ooh. how that goes. But the four-part <laughs> series is on guilt and shame, and this one is called Human Nature. All right. Well, I've had a. A screening of this already and I thought it was awesome so <laughs> you guys are in for a treat here listeners um, now we have had a number of new people connecting to the podcast recently so first let me say thank you for those showing interest by downloading and listening or streaming on the website 9centspodcast.com and just hearing what we're saying um, you know we, we do this for your entertainment it's a lot of fun a little bit of a hassle so <laughs> your engagement means a lot and to that end if you do enjoy what you're hearing, uh, consider donating. A dollar, two dollars, a million dollars, I'm not going to stop you, but there's a donation button on the homepage, and uh, whatever we get goes straight to, fuck, maybe now a, a new mic for Jesse <laughs> to get this shit working, but it, traditionally it goes straight to domain and hosting costs. All right, and the at the very beginning, well, not the very beginning, but the second little bit you heard was the the intro, and that was submitted by a listener. I want to say thank you very much, my dear, for submitting that. I, I know this individual. And if you would like to leave us your own intro, 
Call my Google Voice account 801-899-6168 and leave me your own. In any voice you want, in any way you want. No one picks it up, so there's no need to be nervous. Just say, I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. And we will add that to the rotation at the front of the show. All right, so this week, you've had a hectic week, right? <laughs> oh, it's been awful. It's been hell. <laughs> Nothing what? has gone right this whole week. Wow, that bad. Are you uh, imbibing? <laughs> yes, yes. Thank God, finally. Yes. <laughs> Nice. Although I should have grabbed two because now I can't set the mic down to go get another. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, we might have to take a break right before the uh, I Dream of Jesse segment um, after we're done BSing here for just a minute. So what about this week made it bad? Is there anything you can speak to? Uh, well, it was just a lot of little things that, you know, should have taken maybe an hour and ended up taking three. So then you, well. you just start getting further and further behind on everything. But... I mean, some of the things like Thursday I had jury duty, which Oof. normally jury duty is you're sitting in a room for, you know, from 8 a.m. to like 2 or 3 when they let you go and, and that's it. And you don't do anything that whole time. And that would have been perfect because I knew, okay, backing up a little bit, last weekend I recorded <laughs> the I Dream of Jesse segment and I listened to it and I thought it sucked. And I'm like, well, if I don't get a chance to fix it, at least I've got that recording. But then all week long, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to hate myself if I don't re-record this. So Thursday, I'm thinking, okay, I've got the whole day to just sit in a room. I got a pen and a piece of paper in front of me. I'm going to rewrite the damn thing. Well, I sit in the room for an hour. They call us down to a courtroom. I get picked for jury. And I know this varies by state to state, but with Massachusetts, you get picked for a jury, the trial begins right then and there. <laughs> so I actually got picked, I sat for an hour writing and then I got picked for a jury and I sat on a jury and we gave our decision at like 4.15 p.m. and that was it. My whole day was shot. I mean, it's just everything this week has gone that way for me. I don't know why. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, let me ask you about not the specific jury case, but just the process. Is this something that you're um, you're okay taking part in, or do you think it should be uh, set up differently, the jury process? No, I'm fine with it. And every other time I've gone, I wouldn't have mind sit sitting on a jury. This was the one time I really just <laughs> wanted to sit in that room. I think that's, I think that's a rare... Uh, opinion of it. Everyone I've ever met in person or when I've been called for jury duty a number of times, they bitch and moan the whole time about it as if the whole world revolves around their regular schedule. And this is just like stopping everything. You know, I can like my husband is self-employed. So for him to take a day off, that's money lost. You know, that that matters. So anybody who's like self-employed has their own shop or something like that, I can see them bitching. But somebody like me who's got, you know, boring old day job working for the man, I've got nothing to complain about. What does it matter? <laughs> I sit one in a room one day. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. going to miss me in the office. <laughs> <laughs> I had a pretty damn hectic week myself. I've, I've just been uh, so buried under projects uh, at my regular work that just getting a chance to get out from under them is, you know, just like a breath of fresh air. And then I have to go right back down like I'm diving for, for shells or something. Um, and then on top of that, just I, I have these people constantly coming out to me. Hey, do you think you have time to do this project? Do you think you have time to do this project? And I should know better by now. Mm -hmm. But 
because I like money, <laughs> I, call me crazy. I like earning money. Um, I genuine, gen, generally say yes. And then when I do say yes, I realize the scope of what they wanted requires so much more energy than they thought. And it just comes down to, you know, whenever someone wants something, whether it's a web page or whether it's a magazine ad, they don't, they don't think in the terms of uh, an entire project. They think of, I want to pay someone 20 bucks and I don't roll like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really fucking expensive. And so, and, and more to the point, it's, it's not the amount of money. It's the time that it takes. So they think, well, you can bust out an ad in 20 minutes. And yeah, yeah, I actually can. If I don't want it to mean anything, if I don't want it to speak to the audience, but if I want a concept based around it that takes time and that takes my time which is money and you if you're gonna pay for it then you're gonna pay for something that's good not just shit pumped out in 20 minutes and so it's it's hard for people to wrap their brain around that process of it and then when you start down that road you know it starts with the concept of the ad and or the website and then it goes into the company itself because obviously whatever you're producing in, in materials has to reflect the business that you're, you know, a part of. And, and if the business doesn't have a voice, you have to define that. And so that takes extra time. So it becomes a snowball effect for most people because most people don't think about that type of thing when they start a new business. They just think, oh, I'm going to cut grass. Let's buy a lawnmower and start doing it. But marketing takes so much more time and money. And so I've been like in that mode of trying to fucking work through these damn projects. And it's just my brain is so fried from it. I've had to push off like personal projects because of it, which is kind of a fucking nightmare. Um, but I did get an opportunity to go down to the uh, beer nut store and get some homebrew supplies for hops. So I got some rhizomes of some hops so I can make my own... Uh, my own beer with them, which I'm pretty excited for. I tried this last year, didn't work too well, and I'm hoping this year that it actually takes to it. It's just the weather is so fucking random in April that you never know if it's going to freeze over or and kill the plants or if it's going to be okay. Do you run into this? We've actually, because we used to homebrew, um, and we've had hops growing, so we brought them over to this new house, and they're, they're pretty much, I guess once they establish, they're almost like a weed you won't be able to kill them yeah so that's the good news for it but we i don't is, think we ever actually used them in a brew i can't remember ever using them really it's like by the time they got established we had both stopped home brewing so oh <laughs> oh no <laughs> do you know what kind they are no idea oh man well i'll tell you what i will pay you if you want to collect some if they're still there and send them out to me I, you don't have to pay me. I'll I'll take a I'll see if I can harvest them for you. That would be amazing. Yeah, that wouldn't be till like near the end of the summer, this fall or something. But yeah, that'd be awesome. All right. Well, I did not know that. I'm I'm super excited. Yeah, I got two, so I can make uh gen you know general flavored ales and then general flavored pilsners, uh, with these and then just sort of you know add any flavor bittering hops, uh you know as as I collect them or buy them from the different stores but i'm really really excited for that just being able to spend the time out in the garden mixing my dirt with manure and then planting and stuff i i just fucking love it it's, it's it sounds weird i never thought i'd get into it but i really genuinely i mean it was raining at the time too so i had like my big old wide fucking hat on i'm all in jackets and everything and you know dirty work clothes 
and just like mud everywhere. And I was so happy for that <laughs> short time. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Do you guys get into gardening at all? Um, it's more of a uh, a cost savings. I mean, I enjoy flower gardens, but as far as like vegetable gardens, we don't have one in the new house yet. We've been talking about putting one in, but like we grow berry bushes and nut trees and we're trying to get apples and pears established and things like that. But it's uh, more just to save money. Hell yeah. I, I dig it though. I mean, whatever the reason, I think it's great. All right. Well, how about we start? I dream of Jesse. Let's do this. Let's do it. Jesse, what do you want? Well, first, Jesse, I'd, I'd I'd like you to dress me as master. I I am your master after all. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, master. That's better. Now look, I've got guests coming over tonight, and I want you to entertain them. What do I look like, a belly dancer? Uh, I I assume that was part. I mean, the outfit. It it kind of suggests. You may be used to dance. Listen, the gin put me in the bottle. He forgot to add the preservatives. Now, the outfit may be wrinkle-free, but what in it ain't. You don't like it? Call the number on the bottle and complain. Every society has acts it deems shameful. These can include the use of certain words, eating certain foods, or how you earn a living. What's fine in one culture is taboo in another, but every society, every culture has rules around sex. In the United States, those rules support the sanctity of marriage and the family more than the welfare of the individual. Lifelong monogamy is not inherent in our nature. It's not in the nature of any social primate. Serial monogamy is, and so is having one main partner and other lovers on the side or simply having lovers with no one being primary. But it seems the most prevalent arrangement, which is also the one that matches the needs of child-rearing, is serial monogamy. And because serial monogamy is so prevalent, because it comes so naturally to many humans, and because breaking up is so hard to do, it's easy enough to convince people that lifelong monogamy should be the goal, and thus an ended marriage is a failure rather than a good thing that ran its course. For every couple that starts to date, few marry. For those few that marry, about half get divorced. And yet lifelong monogamy is what's touted as the rule, is what's natural for human beings. Religion backs this up, unsurprisingly. More surprising is that the science coming out of psychology and anthropology is supposedly in support of this view of our natures as well, though I think the data speaks a different story from the one presented. If science and religion being in cahoots weren't bad enough, throw in pop culture. Pop culture celebrates celebrity weddings and gawks at their highly publicized divorces. On TV shows, characters are often either in lifelong marriages, crying over failed marriages, or looking for that special someone to spend a lifetime with. And even if you don't pay much attention to celebrities or TV shows, who doesn't like to hear about a couple in their 80s celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary with smiles on their faces? Even if it's not your personal goal, doesn't it seem like congratulations are in order? I'm not down on lifelong monogamy. For the right couple, it can work and be very rewarding. But with culture telling you success includes lifelong marriage, and religion telling you that it's sinful to do otherwise, and psychologists telling you that it's normal human behavior to pair up for life, there's a lot of pressure to walk that path. And if you stray, there's a lot of guilt and shame. 
And that's just the sex part. What about the love part? Not only are you supposed to fuck just one person for the rest of your life, but you're supposed to love them that whole time. If you've never been in a long-term relationship, let me clue you into something. The love isn't constant. Sometimes you stick around for the love, and sometimes for the sex, and sometimes for the fact that you've had so many good times in the past that you trust it's worth it to weather the storm when you aren't in love and don't really give a shit about the sex. They call it falling in and out of love, and it's normal. It's just not romantic, so don't expect to hear about it in pop culture. Religion can't condone it, because love and honor until death do your part is part of the vows they insist you take. And I don't know that there's ever been a longitudinal study that shows how much people love each other in long-term relationships over the years. So it's tough to fuck only one person for the rest of your life, and it's probably impossible to love that person for the rest of your life. Are there any other issues with living the good life? Oh yeah, the kids. Ah, the guilt and shame of admitting you no longer love your spouse is bad enough, but it's not half so bad as if you were to ever admit to anyone, including yourself, that you don't love your child. Then you're just a monster. But it's the people you care most about, the people you at least started out loving the most, who are in the best position to hurt you. It's the people you've invested so much in who can create in you the deepest resentments and hatred. Ever see the contempt in some parents' eyes when they look at their grown children? If you ask them, they'll tell you of course they love their child. It's just the choices their child is making that cause them to be angry. I call bullshit. Anger and contempt aren't the same thing, and they look different on a person's face. Some parents truly do hate their children. I don't think they should necessarily feel guilt over this. There's something wrong with you if you're holding your young child in contempt, but it's a different story when children are grown up. When your child is born, you are entirely responsible for their behavior. This responsibility gradually diminishes as they age. So if they're adults, if they show you no respect or courtesy, if they've harmed you in the past and continue to cause you harm, if they have nothing you can call a redeeming quality, then no, you shouldn't feel guilty for hating your children. If you spawned the scum of the earth, you may bear some responsibility for it, but you're right to hate them. You just have to lie about it or be called a shameful monster. I should point out that it's entirely possible to both love and hate the same person. Again, it's got to be somebody very close to you for the feelings to be that strong. And deep feelings come from long-term investments in people. A mix of love and hate can and does happen. We can't help the emotions we feel. Our intellect has some wiggle room in shaping what kind of a person we become, but we can't help who we fall in love with, who we find sexually stimulating, or who we come to hate. Yet society shames us because what comes naturally to us isn't acceptable to them. So even if you achieve that touted goal of lifelong monogamy, you're still not living up to society's standards if you feel yourself falling in and out of love with your spouse or grow to hate your kids. Living the good life is very difficult and highly improbable. Part of the reason that heaven needs to be so heavenly and hell so hellish is to make up for this. A prescribed value system that condemns you for feelings beyond your control had better pay off in the end. And, well, eternal bliss is a pretty big payoff. If it were real, this Satanist would be at least a little bit tempted. The believers in eternal bliss nurture their faith with each step they take down the road of conformity. Imagine how a believer who wants to cheat on his or her spouse and knows other people cheating on their spouses, imagine how this person gets around feeling like the biggest schmuck in the world for playing by rules seemingly everyone else is breaking. They get around it by believing the myths of heaven and hell. And the more opportunities they pass up, the more they've invested in this belief, the more strongly they will cling to it. 
They let guilt control them and heap shame on those who do otherwise. The guilt may be unpleasant, but the heaping of shame on others, ooh, how sweet that is. Nothing keeps the faith like the promise of damnation to punish those who took the goodies you passed up on. That shows how much these people suffer in life, that they must wish the absolute worst pain and suffering they can imagine upon people who did nothing more than indulge in the carnal pleasures they took a pass on. What a brilliant idea it was to make laws against the things humans are driven by their very nature to do, and then damn people when they break these laws. Once the guilt and shame kick in, it's easy enough to issue fines or confiscate property or torture or kill these people. Don't worry about deterring the punishable behaviors. No penalty can ever stop sinners from sinning. It's in their nature. Does it surprise you to hear that in Muslim nations where homosexuality is illegal and punishable by death, gay men still commit homosexual acts? You make it illegal and punishable by death to wear yellow, and people will stop wearing yellow. It's not that laws have no effect. It's that the sex drive trumps everything, including the survival instinct. Hell, pedophiles still rape children despite the laws we make against it. Now, I bring up pedophiles because listeners here will probably be pro-homosexuality and anti-Muslim, but are you pro-pedophilia? Didn't think so. But the repugnancy of their acts doesn't mean they aren't defying logic to yield to their sex drives the same way a gay man in Uganda does or a politician ending his career by sexting dick pics does. In all cases and in every culture, the sex drive rules. So what's more arrogant than demanding a highly improbable lifestyle on every human being? Forgiving them when they fail to live up to your expectations. Gosh, Mr. Pope, that sure is big of you. Yes, repent and all is forgiven, to heaven you go. What better way to keep people going to church? The displeasure of shame, the relief of forgiveness. The displeasure of shame, the relief of forgiveness. When your philosophy runs counter to your nature, it's all you can do to hope to be forgiven for being you. But let's leave religion and monogamy aside now. They're hardly the only sources of guilt and shame in the world. And you can be shamed for drinking booze at 10 o'clock in the morning, feel guilty for not answering a call from your mother, and wish shame upon some poor sod that unknowingly cuts ahead of you in the checkout line. Guilt and shame exist everywhere human imperfection exists. But putting yourself or others down for being human is stupid and unhealthy. Of course, the act of putting yourself or others down, that feeling of guilt or that act of shaming, that's also part of being human. So don't feel guilty for lusting over a friend's spouse, and don't feel guilty for feeling guilty for that brief moment before you remembered not to feel guilty. The lust is natural. The guilt is natural, and adaptive if you want to preserve that friendship. And your ability to recognize and admit what you feel without downing yourself over it is one of the keys to self-mastery. Satanism isn't about guilt and shame, but that doesn't mean a Satanist doesn't feel guilt and shame. Adhering to specific religious roles or societal mores isn't natural, but your ability to perceive social mores is. Our nature includes guilt and shame to encourage conformity. The group controls the individual to strengthen the group. A Satanist should ask his or herself what group is being strengthened through the Satanist conformity. Guilt and shame are so tied to monotheistic religions, it almost seems like the equivalent of satanic sacrilege to suggest they can be good things. But that's what I'm going to do. If you let guilt or the shame of others guide your actions, you're essentially giving power to those around you. But for close personal relationships, that's a good thing. Giving the people you care about a little bit of power over you can prevent you from hurting them. 
Let's say you got a bit drunk one night while out with friends. An argument ensued and you said something you shouldn't have. The next day, the rest of your friends make it clear what you said was out of line. Would you really want to be incapable of being shamed? That shaming by people you care about will be the motivator to get you to apologize and set things right. When the group benefiting from your shame is one you care about, the shame benefits you. Hopefully it's clear how feeling guilt can help you. Just keep in mind who it is that benefits from this inhibiting emotion. You want guilt to stop you from harming those you love. You, of course, should also think through your actions and refrain from harming them that way, but I'm going to guess that guilt stops people more often than, say, thinking the situation through rationally, weighing the pros and cons, and logically determining the best course of action through the use of the intellect. We're just not that robotic. Guilt is more reliable than the intellect. Don't believe me? When was the last time you wanted to make an intelligent decision but later found out that you had let your emotions cloud your thinking? Got that date in mind? Great. Now, when was the last time you wanted to behave ethically and therefore had to call up guilt to motivate your actions? What do you mean you've never called up guilt? You mean it comes to you effortlessly? Even when you don't want it to? I'll say it again. Guilt is more reliable than the intellect. And guilt and shame evolved to help us regulate our behavior in groups so that our genes would be passed on. Guilt and shame are tools. But like all tools, there's nothing inherently good or bad about them. It's what you use them for. As easy as it would be to blame religions for deliberately using the tools to break the human spirit and enslave the masses, the fact that science and culture are following suit belies any grand conspiracy behind it all. It's mindless. It's masses of people buying into the idea of the good life unquestioningly and conforming unthinkingly to the standards that evolve out of this organic process. We Satanists ask questions and think things through. We take what works and discard what doesn't. We live as the beasts of the field, true to our nature. Do not conform to society in order to alleviate guilt or avoid shame. But also don't treat these emotions as harmful in themselves. Guilt and shame are tools, and you should use them to your best advantage. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the creature Hi, and welcome to the Creature Feature. Today we're talking thanks to a listener's request. And here's something I want to sort of pass out there. Uh, if you guys want us to talk about something specifically, let us know. I will do it. I'm, I'm working through a backlog of requests, but I mean, if, if it's interesting, I will bring it to the front and we will address it immediately. So uh, this creature feature, we're going to be talking about Rosemary's Baby, a 1968 Roman Polanski film based off the novel by Ira Levin or Levine or, or something of that nature. Levin. <laughs> so have you I, seen this movie? Yes. Um, Did you like it? Oh, yeah. It's yeah, who, I don't think anybody dislikes this movie. This is like one of those everybody loves it kind of popular movies. I mean, not, maybe not everybody's favorite, but I think everybody likes it. Yeah, it's... It's got so much going on in it that I think is is so good. I mean, the story itself is really fun. And and I guess by way of explanation for the one or two people that maybe are listening that haven't seen the film, it's based around a woman um, who gets pregnant, and I'm really distilling it here, gets pregnant, um, grows to fear that her husband has 
made a pact with a group that is going to steal the baby and it's her trying to unravel that story and stay sane and rescue her unborn child um, really that's kind of the nut and bolt of the meat and potatoes of it um, but and, and what I you know when I was when I first watched this movie I watched it because I was told it was a satanic like like evil satanic movie and I, I was really young and I didn't know what to expect but I was not expecting a, 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 like a suspense thriller. I was expecting a horror movie. And this is very much a suspense thriller movie. It is not not a horror movie in the traditional horror sense, I don't think. Yeah, um, I think they call it a horror movie, but it's it's not... There's there's no blood and guts. It's not a thrasher film at all. It is much yeah. more psychological horror. But yeah, I can that, I can see where it's 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 almost more of a suspense thriller. But I would say it's it's still got the horror aspect to it. So for you, what what is the horror aspect angle? Is it's, it the devil or well, it's it's because there's sort of a hint of supernatural, but not a dependence on supernatural. Yeah, like there's, I mean you. Okay, the devil comes into it, but you could say, well, that was just her hallucinating the whole thing. I guess until you get to the very end of it, and then it's like, okay, no, that was real. That, to me, is what what drives it from suspense into the horror flick, is, is there's just this this tiny little seasoning of the supernatural element to it. Otherwise, it's totally a suspense thriller. Yeah. And, I mean, there, there's a couple things that strike me on this movie that just strike me as purely amazing and uh, and the you know reasons that really make the movie connect for me oh and by the way this is actually on netflix um and it's actually a really really like crisp clean version of the film so if you don't own it or you've had it on vhs like i did if you see it on netflix it is like a whole new movie because it's so crisp and clean it really pulled me into the film so much more um i didn't realize how bad of a version i had <laughs> until i watched it on netflix but um okay so a couple things here this uh mia farrow is a, a really beautiful young woman in this film she's got these eyes that sort of pull you in throughout and, and you really sympathize with her as a character she's very likable which is really great um they she's married to an actor who i think the uh the actor who plays this character is very bad i really don't enjoy him at all i'm not even going to go into like actors names or anything for him because i was not impressed at all but um they have this really close friend that they're, they're living with and so this this film sets up where they're in an apartment moving to the city trying to um help the husband break into film more or at least theater, he's, he's a struggling actor, and so they're moving into the city, essentially, and the person that they're currently renting from is called Hutch, and this is a world-educated man. He knows much more than I think any man should, you know, in, in the context of this film. Uh, he, he, it's like, whenever there's commentary about anything supernatural or, or, herbs or anything he is on it with knowing everything and he goes through this explanation when they first go check out that house and come back and talk to him that the history of this apartment complex and how it was uh called the black bramford and they have this story based around this 
this building, which is so rich and so wonderful. When I think of, of really great occult horror, I think of like the 18th, 19th century, and I think of Victorian ethics, and I think of them uh, performing, you know, cloaked... Uh, murdering of animals and stuff and as far as fantasy goes i think that's super awesome like i really dig that side of of uh entertainment uh the aesthetics and and everything i think it's really great and so they the background of this apartment complex is steeped in it so there's they have these trench sisters that like ate children and there are these witches and then there's this uh even further back in its history there's this uh, gentleman named adrian marcato who's this and i love it when you call men witch because it really speaks to the era of uh uh, just the the era of of identifying as as a magic uh, or, or de- devil based individual, you know, it's always witch. Um, but he uh, he summoned the living devil and everything. And so there's this rich, thick occult backstory to this location. And when you see it, it's just like a just like a normal place. Like okay, well everyone's yeah, everywhere there's the same as everywhere else. I don't know what I was expecting, but when you give me a story like that. I'm like, there should be like guts hanging off of rafters and, you know, eyeballs on the floor and stuff. I, but it's just this nice little quaint apartment complex. It's aged, it's old, but, and it's, you know, kind of scary because it's old, like all buildings are. But I don't know. It, I just, that little touch of the history really, really drew me in. Well, what that reminds me of is the Necronomicon. Because, you know, you, you, you're reading a story by Lovecraft and he throws in this book and this one book has itself such a backstory that and, and yet it's just sitting in a library in Miskatonic University, you know? Yeah, I've ne- that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I never really thought about it like that in comparison. Um, there's some really like just quirky moments throughout this entire thing. And you really have to listen to the dialogue in order to, to catch them all. But there's this really wonderful moment where Hutch is smoking his pipe and he's like leaning back in a chair and his shoes are off. So it's just him and his squirrely little feet, like bare feet. And he's smoking his pipe. And it was the just most obscure thing. Like I could, if I had company come over, I couldn't imagine myself socks off, feet squirreling around and just smoking a pipe while I'm having a conversation with them and they're fully dressed and everything. It just, it was, seemed really weird to me, but I loved it when I saw it. And I never noticed it before this version, like the, the clear version, the HD version. And then there's uh, this really fantastic character called Laura Louise, who's sort of the upstairs cult neighbor, cult following neighbor. She's part of this group in the Black Branford where um, she's just this really loud, obnoxious, um, a little overweight, but, you know, just wild-haired looking woman who was actually also in Freaky Friday, if I remember. Um, but she, uh, she, there's this moment where she's, like, rocking um, the baby back and forth and, like, kind of yelling at Rosemary to, like, leave her alone and back off and, she you know, you don't have to tell me how to take care of a child sort of thing. And then she was sort of put in her place and, and walked away and she, like, just stuck her tongue out at Rosemary. Maybe, like, <laughs> like, this is a powerful witch in this coven that just summoned the devil and gave birth to apparently the Antichrist and the best she can do as retribution is stick her tongue out. <laughs> it was... Like, what the fuck? I, I expected so much more from... So- you know, they they downplay the the raw 
paranormal power of this group throughout this whole movie. Like, there's a lot of fear involved, but they don't they don't exercise individual strength of it. But when you think about what they've actually done, you know, in the context of this film, it is, like, they have to be the most powerful people in the fucking world, and they're acting just like regular, goofy, retarded people. Like Yeah, that one, so... uh, Laura Louise, is that her name? Yeah. she's She just strikes me as, like, a loser as <laughs> somebody who had no friends growing up and she's just a loser in life and i mean for that matter even Minnie kind of strikes me as being kind of like trailer trash ish yeah so yeah they're, they're totally not i mean towards the end there when you see them all together and the interplay between them you, you get the sense of the power that's within the group but when they're just interacting with people outside the group yeah. They get these these personalities that just make them seem like harmless, maybe annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the cast of it's always have these they're they're wildly quirky within themselves, which is awesome because it it really makes the characters interesting. But you get the sense like when they're for example when um when the uh, I'm you know obviously spoiling the whole fucking show for people if you haven't yeah. seen it already you should. But there's a moment where uh the girl that they were trying to use to summon the devil uh, they through magic presumably force her to jump out the window to her death, and they, uh, the cast of its Minion Roman, come walking down the street. Just and, and there's this huge scene that the crime scene they're they're walking up to, and they're just all casual. And there is a sense of authority surrounding them, and they sort of play the role of the innocent elderly couple. And you could you feel like they're playing it, but they're doing it so well, no one in the film understands what they're doing. And it's, it's like Lesser Magic 101, like watching this, it's just so amazing seeing them do this. And I understand it was just a fucking film and they, you know, wanted it to look like that. But if you're putting, if you're suspending disbelief and you're putting yourself in the film, it's amazing what they're doing. And it's, it's really a fantastic example of playing to expectation. Yeah. Um, and another great example of that with Minnie is the first time she meets, is it the first time she meets her? Um... She shows up at uh, at the door and Rosemary lets her in and she's dressed nicely. She has her makeup done and she has a scarf around her head with curlers showing. <laughs> yes. And it's the same sort of thing. It's like, okay, the effort was there to doll herself up, but yet it's she's still got the curlers in her hair. So it's like you almost can't take her seriously, which would be an awesome trick. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just examining the entire film with the the frame of mind of I'm going to learn some lesser magic is amazing because it, it, it speaks really, really well to that entire concept. Um, here's some things that I don't like about it. Uh, well, OK, so first of all, a lot of Satanists really enjoy this film, I think, initially or maybe reinforcing because Anton LaVey is rumored and um, said to have had significant influence on the film in some way um and then also having played the devil so that's disputed in a number of places it's in the book the church of satan by magister barton it is said that he did play that and he was referenced so uh i take people for their word um especially people that i respect and uh so i uh, you know, I'll say that he did have something to do with it, uh, despite the claims to the contrary online. But um, I think that has a lot of weight to it. So people want to, you know, like, oh, he had something to do with it? It must be good. So, And there's also another horror film that he had something to do with that um, had uh, 
um, uh, Captain Kirk. What's his name? Uh, the Devil's Reign. Yeah, that. William Shatner. So I really did not enjoy that at all. I don't no? care who was involved with it. It was just, for me, not my cup of tea. I, I like think that. a lot of people like it because of Shatner and because Angela Vey was supposed to have something to do with it. I don't know. But I, so, you know, just to, by mentioning that, I, I, I'm intending to say that I think people like this more. It sort of like doubles down on their like because of that influence. If you're a Satanist, I don't like it because, and, and well, here, let me, let me state this as a preface. So Anton LaVey said that this movie was uh, like a really great billboard for Satanism. And it, it did a lot for Satanism, um, for the Church of Satan specifically. I don't like this film because it's, okay, first of all, I like this film, but the reason why I don't like it as much as I would otherwise is because it's a film that's made apparently by a Christian to speak of this sort of satanic group. And so you get these moments which really drive me crazy of the doctor um, who is part of this cult saying, don't read any books, don't don't look into anything, don't take any drugs, don't listen to anyone, just do what I say and drink what Minnie's making you and don't look into anything. Keep yourself ignorant. And that's a very Christian thing to do. That is not a satanic thing to do. And so that really, really bothered me because if a Satanist made this film, they wouldn't have done that. They would have found another angle to convince her not to listen to traditional dogma. Well, if, um, if a Satanist had made the film, they wouldn't have drugged and raped her either. Good, good point. <laughs> good point. Um, but, but, you know, that's that's why, because it, it's so clearly they have it backwards, where the Christians and the people that are trying to be good and helpful and everything, they're, they're, they're the informed ones, and the Satanists are the ones saying, no, please don't question things, which is a very unsatanic notion. Uh, so that, that bothered me a little bit. Um, I don't like the idea of the rape. I genuinely, and I understand this is a book, so they're basing it off a book. They're not trying to speak to Satanism. They're not trying to give a clear, real message. But because this is such a popular worldwide famed movie, um, and it's purported to be satanic, then, you know, these notions are carrying through and and informing people, um, ill-informing them about Satanism. So the raping thing really kind of bothers me. I feel like there could have been, if it was a Satanist writing it, a really good way of having her convinced to do it without overtly raping her to have sex with the devil. I mean, there's so many fucking ways that you could do that. It's sort of, a, when you think of creativity, it's it's a cheat. Like they, If they were really so powerful, they could convince a woman to commit suicide. If they were really so powerful, they could conjure up the living devil. If they were really so powerful that they could convince that living devil to have sex with a, a regular woman, then why the fuck do they have to convince, rape the woman? Like, why can't they just convince her? Like, you know, it, it doesn't really add up to me. I mean, the horror of the rape goes to the horror premise of the film, so I understand that, but that's just one of the reasons why I'm nitpicking. I, did that did that bother you at all? I I actually totally agree with your assessment of it. It's I like the movie as a movie, but as anything speaking to Satanism, eh, I kind of cringe a bit. And it's tough to say that I think because 
there's so many people that identify so closely with the characters, with the the personalities the characters exhibit, with the the um, visual aesthetics that are throughout the film. Yeah, the yeah. music is so, like it's weird. Like there's so much that we connect with, and then at the same time we're like, oh no, no, no. Yeah, but it's it's almost like you for every person watching it, you need somebody standing beside them saying, okay, now this is where it fits with our religion, and this is where it yeah. doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, I guess the only reason why it it's such an issue with me personally is because it was used as a publicity stunt um, by Anton LaVey in the early uh, days of the Church of Satan. He handed out pins of Pray for Anton, which is a play on the um, Pray for Rosemary, which was a sort of marketing uh, positioning statement pins that were sent out uh, for the film. And so he was he was jumping on and, and using it for his own ends. But then what does that do when the message isn't clearly satanic? It, it confuses what Satanism and the Church of Satan is. Church of Satan is. And so, it, like, I understand why you would do it. I understand why he did it. I understand that not everyone's going to understand <laughs> the true message of Satanism through this film. But it was, it, I don't know, it, it was a, a, a moment where I think it could have been, well, this is going to shoot us in the foot, but we'll get a lot of press, or we could just ignore it. And... You know, he chose shooting himself in the foot in this case. Yeah. Just my my opinion. <laughs> Is there anything that uh, caught you uh, that you really, really connected with in this film? Um, well, like you, you mentioned, uh, the actor that played Guy, and it may be that wasn't the best acting job, but he was absolutely despicable to me. And it, maybe it was even bad acting. Keanu Reeves could have played Guy and been just as despicable, you know, because maybe being a bad actor helps on that. Yeah. Um, actually, I I was talking to somebody about this, and um, this was years ago, and I can't remember who was who said this, but they brought up that when the first scene where you see Guy, the first thing he does is lie to somebody. He, like, tells him he's a doctor or something like that. And, yeah. there's, and there's, like, no reason to do it. He just does it. So it's like, okay, you, he, they introduced the, his character as a liar. And then the first time you see Hutch, he's got people in his home and he's providing food for them. It's like he's, yeah. he's the nurturing one. He's the one who's going to give you what you need. And then the first time Minnie comes into the film, you don't actually see her. It's, it's Guy and Rosemary in their apartment. They're alone. It's dark. And you just hear her yelling out for a root beer. <laughs> so it's like... She's invading their home and their privacy right from the moment she's introduced as a character, which I thought is really cool. I don't know if they did that deliberately or, or what, but I thought it was a good, really good comparison of those three characters. Yeah. I mean, with Polanski, I'm sure it was intentional. I mean, it was it would be really easy just to wait until she gets to the door and start the nosiness there or the, the obnoxiousness, I should say. There. I, I got, there's one other scene that I absolutely love. It's when... Uh, uh, I can't, Lu, Laura Louise, is that her name? Yeah. And Minnie show up to look yes. at the place and then just yes. sit down and start knitting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was great. And then they hand her the little bobble with the tennis root. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just wear it. Put it on. But, but that's, a, good luck. that's another thing that kind of speaks against the religion because... I mean, there's Rosemary. She wants to read a book. She wants to listen to music. These two people come in 
and she's too nice to say anything like, you know, I'm in the, she could have even lied. She could have said, you know, I'm expecting other company. I can't let you stay just now. But no, she turns off the music, sits down and just patiently waits it out, which I think makes her look weak. And that kind of goes against the end of the movie where Minnie tells her, you know, of all the women in the world, Satan chose you to be the mother of his child. Why would he choose a weak woman? Um, that's actually a really good point. I mean, it, if you if you're thinking that that she was intended to raise Adrian or um um yeah fuck what was his name that they gave him? I, Adrian Andrew it kind of I guess they had a disagreement and I can't remember which one they yeah um well when they named the baby um if if the devil who chose uh who chose Rosemary to raise the baby or just to have the baby like she she was she was so weak and insecure and in, in giving that she would be willing to go through this in some way um or whether she would raise the child so you know i mean it's, it's sort of a different like he chose you because you were weak and you would actually go through with it or he chose you because you were um strong to raise the baby well i don't know i mean she steps up at the end yeah, and but, she's and she shows intelligence the whole movie through. I mean, she's yeah. pretty clever about the way she pieces things together and, and you know, like hides the pills they're trying to give her and discards the moose discreetly and things like that. I mean, she's she shows a, a, a level of intelligence. It's just I think she also shows a level of weakness in, in standing up for herself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, aside from, you know, the 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 really negative parts of this cult um, as they progress through this story. I actually, I loved Hutch's character. The, the education, the information that he shared, the, the level of honesty, even with his best of friends, when, like when he walked over, uh, came to the house, when he first saw Rosemary pregnant for the first time, he's like, oh, you look terrible. And he's always honest, like, the, you know, instead of being polite about the tennis root bob, like little medallion, he smells and he's like, oof, no, this smells horrible. Why, you know, everything is just straight honesty with him and he's like just a genuine friend. That's how I see my friends that are Satanists. Like, they're honest with you and they you know they will help you and back you in any play and in the movie that's the guy that gets killed because he's an interference like it's like backwards in my mind so that that kind of bothered me a little bit and i know the whole point of it was to make you like the character so okay (laughs) well was there anything else you wanted to talk about uh about this film um i don't know if you want there was a big deal made about her haircut and, oh really? Yeah, and I guess, I guess she she cut her hair short before the film was made, so she was wearing a wig for the first half of it or whatever. And my take on that was when she when they switched to the short hair, it's kind of like that's also the point where she starts like becoming emaciated and all that. Yeah. And I don't know, I. I I know that was like a big deal when the film was made. For me, that didn't work. I I don't know. Something about it just kind of jarred me there. I think she would have come across as looking more frail if they had just kept the hair the same way. I don't know. I don't know if you want to. It. I mean, it's interesting because you know. I don't. It, like, you know, usually when you do stuff like that, there's a really good reason. Like, I want to show this character trying to. St- 
trying to find a sense of self in this in this moment when she is being absorbed by this cult where her entire life and the life of the child in her is is consuming her in some way forcing her to act differently this is her one act that is purely her own for good or bad <clears throat> excuse me so i don't know if that was the message of why they switched to it to you know to show a, a, a in some way independence in this you know, time when she feels completely at the mercy of things around her. See, I, I can see that, but I, I think that's why it didn't work for me. Because to me, the longer hair looked feminine, the short hair looked masculine. And the transition came when she was really thinking like a mother, which is very feminine. Yeah. So it just didn't make sense for her to go to switch to a masculine look when she's suddenly not thinking so much of herself, but really thinking of her child. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I, I it was another moment which made me despise Guy all the more because <laughs> he just tore her up over that haircut, knowing how much distress she's in. I mean, if you're a man who who, who loves a woman, use this as an example of what never to do. <laughs> he just talks shit to her about it. Every scene that they're in together, you know, for the next uh, three or four scenes. I mean, he's just a total douchebag. And, I, you know, I, I get that they're trying to say, well, he's he's in, being influenced by this cult. And so he's losing himself. But like you said, at the very beginning, they opened him as being a dick by just blatant lies and bad jokes. And so, like, there's never a redeeming factor where you can say, oh, well, he's being so much influenced and changed by this cult. No, he's always been a dick. Yeah. Like, there's no there's no redeeming quality of this dude. Wait, it, at the very beginning, when, when she's, like, cracks open this beer and she's looking at it, she's like, let's make love. And what does he do? He just starts taking his pants off. Who... What the fuck? Like, go over to her, embrace her, kiss her, start taking her clothes off. Don't just like, oh, this is mundane monotony. We do this every Tuesday night. Time to have sex. Take my pants off. Like, they, it was so cold. And not and only I, that, but there was like a pause. There was like a... He, he, yeah, like, should I? Yeah, like he debated <laughs> it. Like, oh, oh. I could finish my, I could finish my right. meals or... Gosh, he wants to have sex again. Fuck. <sighs> it's yeah. so weird. Just so, so weird. And and at the very end, when the rest of the cult is, you know, trying to... Well, I shouldn't say they're all trying to say good things because that... Louise, Lauren, Laura Louise, I can't remember <laughs> yeah. her name. Right? She's still all with, you know, attitude being obnoxious. Yeah. Everyone else is being positive about it. But then Guy is in the background with his head in his hands, ashamed of himself. Yeah. It's like his, his come to Jesus moment <laughs> at the very end. He's like, I'm the worst character of this movie. <laughs> Why do I live? <laughs> oh, okay. One, one more comment about the end of the movie. Right. Did they have to have the Asian guy taking the pictures? <laughs> I love it. That was so weird. Like, I felt like at that time they were trying to shy away from really, like, in-your-face stereotypes. <laughs> and then they had him, like, all clickety-clickety. Oh. oh, God. Hail Satan. <laughs> like, dude. <sighs> that was really funny. Like, that that took me. At, and that's the thing is, though, it, I think that hurt the scene. That didn't help it in any way. Like they, I don't know, just the idea of photos of that moment seems weird to me. Like, oh, let's capture this when no one has any photos throughout the whole movie. It's all like p 
pictures, like painted pictures or its interaction. No, it's see, never like, let's have a photo gallery. No, see, that didn't kill it for me because to me that was like right along the same lines as sticking your tongue out at Rosemary. <laughs> yeah. It was it was just this goofy <laughs> thing you would not expect at that moment. And, the, and yet there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was... You know, despite all of our little banter back and forth about the the downsides to it, I I genuinely love this film, and it's something that I see at least once a year, and I keep going back to because I just I love it. Mia Farrow is in her prime, and the the whole movie put together, the music is so good. The visually, I think it it just it takes me to the nineteen seventies, and I just love every bit of it. And with the like, with the possible exception of Guy. Every character, impeccably cast. They yeah. they were all so good. Yeah, I love the doctor. I, I for the moment I can't think of his name, but I I really really enjoyed his his. And some of them were first time actors. That's the thing. Like, I mean, they just looked for the people that would be the best. And maybe that's why, because Guy is sort of the douchebag of the whole story. Maybe they looked specifically for a douchebag. He does <laughs> just look like, like a douchebag. He really yeah. does. I don't know. That character just rubbed me the wrong way all the way. Yeah, the whole show. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this creature feature. Definitely take time out of your life and check out Rosemary's Baby. It is awesome. Welcome to another Old Nick Peep Show, the only segment that delivers beautiful women, masculine men, and intriguing information on all things Old Nick. Joining us, as always, is the very first Old Nick chick, which Marilyn Mansfield and her handsome beau, senior editor, Warlock Zothamog. How are both of you? Hello, we are fine, thank you. How are you? How's it going? Uh, Not too bad. As you can tell, I still have a bit of a stuffy head, but we're going to plow through this. Anyway, okay, so it's been a month. We... Last week, or I'm sorry, last month, I believe we were speaking about the just released issue, a winter issue of Old Nick. And now we're coming up in the spring. It's actually hit us over here on the west side pretty hard lately. What do we have in store for Old Nick? Um, Coming soon will be the new issue, which will be the Walpurgis issue. And, you know, not giving away too much, I will say that there's going to be a Nice centerfold with a new witch, and we will be amateur featuring witch. yes, a new amateur witch. And we'll be featuring the fictional writings of author Edward Lee. Very, very cool. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, Edward Lee, I believe he's been featured in Old Nick before, and he's a well-established author with more than forty books to his name, and uh, he's <laughs> he's even had a movie made of one of his releases, I believe. So. Definitely looking forward to that, and I love the tease of a new amateur witch. There's nothing <laughs> sexier than, than a witch. Ah, I love it. Yeah, the, the Walpurgis issue is always, you know, a um, we like to one. keep it yeah special. So you know, we want it to be uh, full surprises when it. Uh, yeah, that, we don't want to give away too out. much <laughs> at this moment, but you know, we will tell you that it's going to be a good one. And I'm sure yeah. it will be, you know, collectible issue like last year. Last year issue was fantastic. So, well, last year issue was the Black, the Black House. House. Yeah, that was issue, just which you had a big part in. I think. 
Yeah, well, everyone, you know, a lot of people had a big part in that. Which yeah, was, I was in there too. I yeah, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. seeing you. <laughs> <laughs> you my, excuse me, you caught my eye. <laughs> I seem I to remember a certain stomach, yeah. <laughs> well, tell me about that. Who who was involved in that, and how did that come to be? Well, you, you know, um, the great thing about that issue was that, um, you know, um, it was after a uh, celebration and um you know get together so um the next day was the shoot and um it was really fun because it involved so many you know uh members and you know we just went to a uh really cool cemetery and um i, I was honored to um be photographed with um robert lang um in front of the black house it was you know an honor and a privilege for me to be um asked to do that and um they also featured one of your creations. Oh yeah, um, yep, yep, little Andrew, right. the uh, baby I made. Um, yes, the, the the baby featured in that photo, in in front of the black house, was actually um, one of Marilyn's creations. Yes, that now lives at the black house. Yeah, that's awesome. And and what was the design of that um, piece of art inspired by? Oh, that that actually was. Um, inspired by Rosemary's Baby and um of you know I I had found this um uh doll sculpt that it just had this look <laughs> it's one of my favorites actually and um you know uh he just looked really angry and it was very realistic and I painted him totally realistic looking and I gave him nice rooted uh black hair and a widow's peak and <sighs> uh but I gave him red eyes like um how they how they uh you know um showed in the movie, so yeah. he looks like this like realistic baby, and then you turn around and he has these red eyes and it's <laughs> awesome <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you know that, that's, uh, that's that's very cool that's actually wildly appropriate too uh for this episode because uh we just finished talking about the movie rosemary's baby so so that's very cool, yeah, yeah, so. Oh. Yep, yep, you know. <laughs> well, when it comes to a, a photo shoot like that, I mean, you you were photographed in front of the new black house. There is also a, a cemetery series with a, a number of uh, notable Satanists. Uh, is that something that you had to plan for in advance, or did you just sort of off the cuff say, hey, guys, come on, join us, let's let's get together and let's do something fun? Yeah, it was pretty much, you know, on a whim. And, um, you know, it worked out perfectly. I mean, um, you know, it, it was kind of just like, hey, let's do this. And it turned out to be really, really awesome. And uh, I mean, I had to be honest with you, I think I went to sleep about six o'clock in the morning that day. Yeah. Luckily, my eyelashes uh, stayed on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, <clears throat> but it, it worked out great. I mean, it, it, the pictures are beautiful. And, you know, like I said, there was so many, you know, great people involved in that shoot and everything. It's really a memorable issue. Something I'll never <laughs> Do you, um, if on, on your memory, is that still available, that issue? Yes, that's still available. Yep. Nice. And it's considered a collector's, you know, edition. So, well, I, I highly recommend those of you who haven't picked it up listening to uh, go check it out and pick it up. You can find links to the MagCloud account um, on oldnickmagazine.com. So, 
do yourself a favor and definitely check out that shoot. I'm I'm, I'm really really looking forward to this Valpergas Knock issue coming up. And here's here's something. I mean, for those of you, and this is sort of just uh you know off the cuff here. For those of you who aren't aware, which I don't know why you'd be listening to this podcast if you weren't, but you know just for the fun of it. Um, do you want to uh, Zoth? Uh, do you want to explain the significance of Valpergas Knock? Well, Valpergas Knock to us Satanists is a uh... It's a special holiday because it commemorates the anniversary of the creation of the Church of Satan. And it also, you know, to us is a, a good reason for everyone to celebrate and acknowledge being a Satanist. So annually we tend to get together and celebrate, you know, not only just the anniversary of the Church of Satan, but just celebrate our Satanic philosophy and embrace who we are truly as, as it being a unique holiday for us. You know, I mean... A lot of people associate Satanism with like Halloween or something like that. And it's like, okay, sure, fine. But, you know, we like to sort of embrace our own special date. And that is our special date. Yeah. And, you know, just for, for those listening, there's, there's a number of holidays that are um, significant to Satanists. One being your birthday, but also the birthday of the organization that defends the religion that you stand for. And that is Valpergis And So it's always nice whenever you have the opportunity to make something of significance uh, for that date and uh, this issue, upcoming issue and last issue of uh, Old Link Magazine is certainly one of them to to check in on and, and uh, be a part of it, even if that just means consuming its content. Um, it's definitely worthwhile. Well, uh, Marilyn and, and Zoth, it's always nice speaking with you. Um, is there anywhere people can go, <laughs> as if I hadn't already mentioned it once, that they can find out more information online about Old Nick Magazine. Sure. There, of course, there's uh, oldnickmagazine.com. Um, the MagCloud is where you um, order the magazine. Mm-hmm. Old Nick Magazine. All our, all our links can be found on oldnickmagazine.com, but of mm-hmm. course, we are everywhere. We are on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We are on Pinterest. We are, um, geez, you know, we, like she said, you can find the magazine on MagCloud. We also have the uh, X-rated edition on Skin Mags. Um, what am I forgetting? Uh, Google Plus. Um, geez, I don't know. The list can go on forever. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, well, certainly- Google Old Nick Magazine and you'll find us wherever you are. Yeah, everything is on the site, oldnickmagazine.com. Uh-huh. If we haven't done right. it, we will soon. <laughs> Well, again, definitely everyone check it out, oldnickmagazine.com. It's worth your time. Um, Marilyn, Zoth, it's always a pleasure. Until next time, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Okay, welcome to a bizarre, the bizarre. I haven't done one of these in so long. Um, I know this episode is long. We're running over, but I, I, I haven't done one in so long. I kind of want to do this, and I thought of this, and it was really kind of weird and funny, and kind of the point of the bizarre, the bizarre. So I'm going to be talking about soap in your penis. And I'm going to be um, joining in with all of my personal expertise. 
I know you don't have firsthand knowledge. Okay, so let me let me, let me set this up with a story, <laughs> if I if I may. I'm uh, in the front room talking with my wife, and I hear shrieking as if someone is murdering my son in the bathroom, murdering him. And so I bust through the door, coming to see. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he shot himself in the face, and this is like a death scream. It was so, like it it was a scream I'd never heard from before. So I genuinely thought something was wrong. So I bust in there and I, I rip open the curtain. I'm like, are you okay? What's going on? And he is like, my penis burns. My penis burns. And, you know, <laughs> being a guy, I put one and one together. And I'm like, okay, well, you know what? You either need to drink a lot of water and pee or you need to squeeze the soap out of your penis. <laughs> <laughs> and I know what this sounds like. But this happens. This really ha- And you don't even try. Basically, if I may be so bold, um, a penis is like a straw with constant suction keeping it close. <laughs> I don't know why, but like if like we don't use bar soap, we use body soap, body wash. And so you got like a loofy, you got a bunch of suds all dripping everywhere. Your, your penis, it like has a little mind of its own. It's just... <laughs> takes that soap up on its own and even when there's water pushing down so you wouldn't think that this would happen it flies in the face of physics but the penis does it anyway and it it when you anytime you have soap up there in your junk it hurts really bad and so you either have to pee it out or you have to squeeze it out which is dangerously close to masturbating <laughs> to rub so i'm telling my son how to <laughs> to take care of this and my wife is standing at the door like what the fuck are you talking about this does not happen what are you making this up like i'm not a sicko i know this i know this happens and i don't i don't know why but it fucking happens and i know you guys out there you know what i'm fucking talking about even if you never admit to it but it is a real problem (laughs) have you ever heard of this no <laughs> really? No, and uh, I wonder. <laughs> and I've never had any comparable experience myself. <laughs> There's soap in my vagina. Yeah, see, I don't know. Would it be the vagina? Would it be the pee hole? I don't really. Oh, it would know. definitely be the pee hole. Definitely be the pee hole. Okay. I mean, it's you know, it's your urethra. I mean, it's the anything that gets up in there, it fucking hurts. I mean, you know, you get a urinary tract infection, and that, that just terrible pain. Just constant itching and just horrible. Well, this is kind of like a mini one of those. It's just soap fucking ghost spelunking in your junk and you don't want it to. <laughs> so I'm now so it ended up like you ever hear you remember those commercials for the scrubbing bubbles? Yes. I'm now picturing those with like miners' hats on, spelunking. <laughs> little little rope over one shoulder <laughs> under the other arm. We're going in, boys. <laughs> Grab onto the foreskin. Ah! Yeah, I don't I don't get it, man. It I don't know why it does it. I would imagine, though I don't know if you're an uncut dude, this would probably be more of a problem. But I don't know. And I, I cannot be the only one. So women, ask the men in your lives if this is real. Because I need to know if I'm just a freak and I, I gave birth to a freak. <laughs> I need to know. I get so in the penis. Oh, it's a horrible thing and it happens all the time. <laughs> soap in the penis and that's gonna do it for this bizarre bizarre <laughs> just uh you know word for the wise squeeze it out or pee it out or wear a condom in the shower <laughs> <laughs>
really, really good point. Then I can have that really awkward conversation with my son on how to put a condom on. <laughs> You're not going to... And then he's going to think, that's the use of the condom. It's like a shower hat for your penis. <laughs> Why would I use this and put it in a girl? This is for the shower. I wouldn't... <laughs> This is to keep soap out. Why would I do that? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful conversation. All right, that's going to do it for the show, people. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. And we would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. Jesse, where can the fine folks listening find you online? Uh, I am on Twitter at DamnedLucky. They can email me at idojesse at gmail.com. And I've got a blog, which is drafts from a satanic windbag at wordpress or dot wordpress dot com. Definitely check that out. She has content that is not a part of the monthly um, "I Dream of Jesse" segment, and so do yourself a favor and check out drafts from a satanic windbag uh, on your own. There's a link to it on the Facebook page, which will save you a lot of typing. <laughs> yeah, there's a link on the 9centspodcast.com website. You should definitely check it out. All right, and you can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show via RSS Mondays, found at the 9centspodcast.com website. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 cents via iTunes by searching 9 cents, and don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. Keep in mind that the only way this podcast is going to continue is if you impregnate Rosemary or <laughs> or maybe maybe mini cast of it. Take one for the team <laughs> and connect with Minnie. Uh, I bet you money she will wear rollers in bed. I totally see and that demand a root beer. <laughs> all right help spread the word people let's keep this podcast together once again thank you for joining me and jesse and as always i'm your host adam campbell being joined by jesse <laughs> and until next week hail satan hail satan